The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Folks, a good Tuesday to you all. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Bespris. We rumble along in this weird, nebulous, post and pre-season iteration of the podcast. I really just can't get over how crazy it is and how we really have no idea what's to come. I know we heard... Yesterday and over the weekend that the NBA had a 25-day plan to ramp back up to actual playing, but no start time to actually begin that 25-day stretch. And I don't know when it could possibly be. So, the one thing you have to think is that I, I don't know how the NBA starts any kind of ramp up while states are still under a full lockdown. How do they get the exception or exemption, I guess. But maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe they get an accept. Maybe they can get accepted. Uh, we heard that MLB is participating in a weird antibody study that's not actually going to have anything to do with restarting the league. But if indeed those tests are now becoming slightly more available, maybe that's a way to inch back towards actually getting some games. Regardless, I, I, it feels more and more like there will not be a regular season and the NBA will be fighting to try to get some playoffs in. I think we're probably done. But as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I see no reason to just arbitrarily end your seasons when the NBA's basically said, you know, we're going to try to make some kind of decision in about two or three weeks. Whether that decision is wait another two weeks and then decide, that could be a possibility. Maybe we'll get a decision that they're just not even going to be targeting a regular season, which unfortunately would be, a, a, I think, a big negative just because of what it says about, you know, they're, they're already thinking they wouldn't have enough time. Or maybe they say, look, we've got an idea of how we want to do this thing. I don't know. Regardless, I, I still think that most fantasy leagues, it really doesn't hurt to just kind of sit on things a little bit. I'm still in that camp. Tomorrow would have been the last day of the NBA's regular season. We will celebrate, question mark, that on tomorrow's podcast by uh, probably trying to ignore it altogether. We are officially more than one month into the NBA shutdown, and we are, I believe, now three days away from... What are we looking at at this point? No, two days away from... A four-week mark in California of full shutdown and five days away from a one-month mark of shutdown in California. And then everybody sort of slowly followed suit right behind it as well. The We're hearing a few things, and I want to keep this COVID part of the podcast pretty short because there really wasn't any news on that front today other than uh, West Coast governors kind of coming out and talking about how they're going to work together to try to figure out how to reopen things. I was talking about this with my wife and texting about it with other folks at HoopBall and and here on our, our sales team, just how, I think I was talking to my mother about it too, how are the states going to reopen things? Because it doesn't feel like, and this is sports or otherwise, I don't think they can just sort of wait until this goes almost completely away. 
and then reopen everything, that's a way to get another peak, a secondary peak. And then we heard earlier today, California's governor, Gavin Newsom, talking about rearranging businesses, basically like restaurants reopening, but the tables being much farther apart, other non-essential businesses reopening in kind of a different way. I'm trying to think of what that means. Like, what sort of places are we talking about here? Like a clothing store where, what, the clothes are just all up on the walls and you can only have five or six people in the store at a time? Is that even worth it? To have someone to staff the store? Like, is that to get, what, one, two people the job back at the store? I'd still be freaked out to go into that place if there were five or six other people in there. I, I, maybe, maybe people wouldn't be. I don't know. I just, you know, like, how do you convince yourself to go get a pair of pants at the Gap in person when you know there's going to be a handful of people in the store and the person working there? And I, I don't know, maybe you, can you try on clothes anymore? Like, to me, at that point, you might as well just keep shopping online. And maybe I'm more freaked out than the average person, but it just, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like this is why I'm not an expert. I don't have the solution to this, but obviously you just, you can't keep everything shut down forever or people will lose their minds. I don't even give a crap about the economic side of it. I mean, I do, we all care about it, but to me, the mental side might be the biggest story of all. And it's almost getting completely ignored. This is hard for all of us, but we rumble along and today we rumble farther into the Northwest division we broke down the Portland Trailblazers on yesterday's podcast. We did the Pacific Division last week, and today we'll just sort of keep flying around. Well, to Oklahoma City. Why? I don't know why. I have no real thoughts on it. We're going to Oklahoma City next. Uh, we've got Minnesota coming up later this week, Utah and Denver as we work on the Northwest Division. But I wanted to do Oklahoma City because I thought, you know, this is a team that the media had pegged. The big media, uh, you know, I'm not talking about everybody because that media gets lumped into a big ball and that's not fair. But the big names said they've gone into a rebuild. They traded away Russell Westbrook. They, cra- they traded away uh, Paul George. Sorry, I almost called him Chris Paul because it's like a wheel of fortune before and after category. Chris Paul George. <laughs> I love names like that. LeBron James Harden. Had some pretty good basketball players by combining humans. Um, here's the thing, and this is what I screwed up with the LeBron James exit from Cleveland two seasons ago, was there's always this desire built into the remaining players on a team to prove the world wrong. Hey, we don't suck without our superstars. We're still good. Toronto was the same thing. I bet the over on Oklahoma City and Toronto this year, and those were my two favorite wagers on the entire board, and they were the same basic bet. They were the same basic bet. Toronto didn't trade their superstar. They lost Kawhi Leonard to free agency. Oklahoma City did. Traded Paul George. Traded Russell Westbrook. Got a bunch of stuff back. Got Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, Chris Paul, among other... Uh, among you know, 155 draft picks as well. Here's the difference. What I screwed up in Cleveland, LeBron James's departure left that team with no one. They were literally so bad that even hoping to prove the world wrong wasn't going to be enough. They were horrible. And then Kevin Love sat out the first four months of that season, two years back. 
The difference with this one, and this is the path that I normally like to follow when a team loses a superstar, if they have anyone with a, a modicum of pride and a little bit NBA ability, I bet the over pretty consistently. And it's a pretty, well, nothing is 100%, as we saw, but it's a pretty consistent wager. And what we saw with Oklahoma City and Toronto, and you know certainly we'll break them down a few weeks from now when we work our way out to the eastern seaboard and north of there, is that because this team did still have veterans and talent, when you mix that with the desire to prove to the world, hey, we didn't really need Russell Westbrook all that badly. We didn't need Paul George. Those guys doth not make the team and show the world what's up. And they did. And that led to an inspiring set of fantasy seasons for this team. The Oklahoma City Thunder finished, well, finished, air quotes, the 2019-2020 NBA campaign with six players inside the top 80 in total value. Not on a per-game basis, but by totals, because these guys just played. And even when they were hurt, they played. Chris Paul played 63 games this year. He missed one I believe. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, same thing. 63. Schroeder, 63. Maybe those guys didn't miss any. I got my numbers right on this thing. I have this weird recollection of Chris Paul missing one game, but he might not have actually missed any game so far. Uh, Thunder, yeah, 64 games they played. So Chris Paul missed one. Shea missed one. Schroeder missed one. No one on the team played in all 64, but damn, that's impressive. The three-guard lineup worked like a charm. Nerlens Noel was great. He missed some time, but overall, he was fantastic. Was able to capitalize on a banged-up Steven Adams, who was, by all accounts, the only not-great story on this Thunder team. Steven Adams finishing at number 84 on a per-game basis, and I think we all thought he'd be a little bit higher. Now, to his credit, he was actually better later in the year, but fluctuated for the most part over the course of the season, so you can't... You can't make any, you can't say he was generally ramping up or anything to that effect. Uh, Dennis Schroeder was the only of those guys who finished outside the top 100 on a per game basis, but he was also someone ramping up as the season went on. He started out the year in that 140, 160 range. Schroeder, over the last 25 games, was inside the top 80 as well. This is on a per game basis. We can go through these players one by one, and we will. But overall, this was a team that wanted to prove to the world they were good and they had leadership where a lot of teams in those situations might be lacking. Chris Paul, number one on our list. Number 14 by averages in nine-category nine leagues this year. By playing in 63 ball games, he was number seven by totals. And this is a guy, maybe our biggest win here on Fantasy NBA Today, that I was harping on. You take him, if he falls to you in the third you take him. If he falls to you in the fourth, you take him. You do not let that slip by. And let's go back and revisit some of the logic that went into that. And we do this with ones that we miss as well, but it, here was one we got. And the logic going into the season on Chris Paul is as such. Number one, looking at his recent seasons, there was no real indicator that his game had fallen off. He'd never been, I mean, he hadn't been fully healthy in a long time, but we'll get to that in a minute. Last year in Houston, he was dinged up, as usual, played only 58 games. 
had his worst shooting season of his career, worse than his first ever season in the NBA. He was at 42%. His two seasons in Houston, he took career-high 6.5 and then 6.1 three-pointers per game. He still got plenty of assists. You know, the way they ran their offense, he was basically allowed to be in charge of everything when James Harden was not on the floor, so that stuff was still there. But just from an efficiency standpoint, there was something wrong in Houston last year. And when we started learning about the infighting, it all kind of made sense. When guys aren't happy, they just don't play as well. He didn't like his role with the Rockets. He didn't like being told he had to chuck up six and a half three-pointers a game. That's not his fantasy game. That's not his reality game. He's an elbow jumper guy. No one carves up the league on the short mid-range like Chris Paul. He's one of the best in the league, and it's why he's been one of the best fourth-quarter players in the NBA this season. His scoring is up two points per game, and he's only taking .4 additional shots per game. There's no way that should correspond to two extra points per ball game. But all the stuff that Chris Paul does well was there this year. 18 points per game, right around his career mark. Assists were actually down because he was running in a three-point guard lineup. Rebounds around five, pretty standard. A steals, actually down a little bit for Chris Paul this year at 1.6, but hey, you're not going to complain really about that. 90% of the free throw line on four per game, beautiful. 49% from the field, that's back up near where he was for so long in his career with New Orleans, with the Clippers. He was always up in the high 40s, and it was only when he was forced farther and farther away from the bucket that that field goal percent started to come down ever so slightly. And so this is what we were looking for. We said, hey, let's look at Chris Paul, his last season, not in Houston, 2016-2017 with the Clippers. You're like, okay, that's a long time ago. Can we really expect him to be the same guy? No, I mean, you can't expect it. That year, 18 points, 9 assists, 2 steals per game, 2 three-pointers, and 48% from the field. 89% at the free throw line. He was a first-rounder on a per-game basis that season, sitting just inside the top 10. He was was dinged up, as usual. Hadn't played in more than 61 games in three seasons in a row. And throughout his career, he really hasn't ever been the epitome of durability. He played in a bunch of games, kind of alternating seasons, really, earlier in his career. He had an 82, where he hit in in all of them for the Clippers, That was a big year for Chris. Easy first-round fantasy season. But then 74, 61, 58, 58. And so we looked at him like this. Chris Paul moving out of Houston back to a leadership role in Oklahoma City. All of the stats pointed to him getting plenty of playing time on a team that was going to be better than people expected. His contract was way too big to trade, so I wasn't particularly concerned on that front. And the only downside was, what if he misses 20 games? Well, if you've got a guy who's averaging first-round per-game value, misses 20 games, he's basically an early third-rounder, maybe even to the second round, because of how important it is to get first-round per-game numbers out of somebody. Anything over 62 games played for Chris this year was basically gravy. If he got to 65 games, he was an easy second-rounder. If he got up to 67 or 68 games, he was an early second-rounder. And what we saw now is that he basically played in every single game for his team, and as a result, he's a mid-first-round pick. Is he going to get drafted in the first round next year? I haven't a clue. 
There are differences for him next year. His contract will be closer to done. I mean, there's still enough left on that thing where it's never going to be simple with Chris Paul the way it might be for some of the other guys on this team, and, and we'll get to them here momentarily. Uh, but he still has $41 million next year and a player option for $44 million the season after that. So he's a tough cat to move. So I think if you're drafting him next year, you're assuming he's probably going to be on Oklahoma City, and if he gets moved somewhere, it's going to be to a team that wants him to play a whole bunch, wants him to stay healthy, and he'll have a pretty good role. So, you know, if there's a little drop-off there, I wouldn't fret too much. But this was probably the year for value on Chris Paul, coming off the bad season in Houston, the one that everybody was upset about with injuries and and poor performances. And now he's rocketed himself back up into this top-tier guard conversation again in fantasy, and we'll see where he gets drafted as, as a result. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was the second-highest-ranked player on the Thunder this year. Logged a team-high 35 minutes a game, missed one game all season long. 19 points, 6 boards, 3 assists, a steal, 0.7 blocks, a little over one three-pointer, 47% from the field, 80 at the free-throw line. And just a guy that was becoming good at a lot of things. Gilders Alexander, like many of the Thunder, got off to a little bit of a slower start while all these guys were kind of feeling each other out and, and figuring out what their actual role was going to be. Um, ended up settling into a top 50 valuation, basically for the the great bulk of the season. There was the slow start, and then he then he was basically a top 50 guy for a long time. Not a long stretch. He had like two weeks in there where he was a first-rounder, and then he kind of settled back in. You know, I don't think... Mm, you know, we're looking at a guy like Gilgis Alexander, and the first thing you have to do is is look at the growth of his game, and that's been nice. That's been nice. Last year, you were looking at a guy that was able to get defensive stats, had good percentages, and you wondered how that would translate to a higher volume, and there was a learning curve for him. I mean, this, this is going to be a guy that's drafted in the, I would think, inside the top 40 next year with the hope looking at his numbers and, and this is where you have to try to make these these decisions where does he go next what's the next step for him I think the next step you have to hope is more assists because 3.3 is not a ton still playing on a team alongside Chris Paul you're probably not going to be the team leader in assists does his volume get higher maybe because Gallo's a free agent so an increase in volume, maybe that's your ticket. An increase in assists, maybe that's your ticket. Three-pointers, it's not really his thing. I don't know how much higher he goes unless there's another big volume bump. So it's possible he gets overdrafted a little bit next year. Because he's had such a nice growth season this time around, it's hard to make those big leaps two years in a row. Also worth noting, Dennis Schroeder has another season on his contract, and you have to start to roll some of that in. Uh, we'll get to him. Uh, a couple of relatively easy ones in between here. Gallo, top 50 season again. In fact, right around the edge of the top 50. Uh, missed nine games so far this year, which is by all accounts a victory for him. Continues to be a good scoring option with a smattering of rebounds, three-pointers, and a big-time free-throw percentage guy. 
That's his shtick. You know what you're getting out of him, and you'll probably basically get that no matter where he signs next year. Pretty easy one. Interesting little note on this season is that Nerland's Noel actually outperformed Steven Adams for the entire season. Adams had been coming on a bit more as the season progressed, as he got healthier. But Nerland's, who was a hoop ball six or a hoop ball uh, Brewski 150 guy this year, had himself a really nice season. Seemed like he was going to go elsewhere, ended up coming back, signing for next to nothing. And I would think he's earned himself some decent cash this offseason. Question is, where does he go? We love his fantasy game. You know, Nerland's Noel, and this is the real key, number 73 on a per-game basis on 18 and a half minutes per game. If he goes someplace where we can guarantee him 20 minutes a game, he's worth drafting. He's going to be a sneaky value, I think, in drafts next year. Someone's going to want to pay that dude to be a backup center that plays a bit more. He's good. He's good at what he does, too. Big-time defensive stats. What about Steven Adams? To me, now we're getting into some of the interesting ones because Gallo is off the board. Nerlens Noel is off the board. These guys are free agents by the end of this season. Steven Adams has a fat contract, but in its final year next season. Next year feels really like the year where the Thunder need to move some of these guys. They didn't move Gallo this season because, you know, they're having fun, and I guess they didn't get enough of a return on it. And frankly, they have enough picks at this point. I think they're probably going to want a player. Can they get one for a big, aggressive, rebounding, lumbering center without much offensive game? We have to put our heads into our... We have to wrap ourselves around the brains of the other executives across the NBA. What are they going to give up for Steven Adams next year? Will it be enough? What if Nerlens Noel re-signs with the Thunder? Do you just assume Steven Adams is going to get moved? I actually wouldn't assume it. It makes a lot of sense for him to get moved next year at some point, probably mid-season or maybe even in the off-season. I would certainly clarify things going into the year. We'd have a better feel for his value and any other centers in Oklahoma City because if he's gone and Noel does not resign, then they wouldn't have any left, basically. But, I mean, think about it. What did Andre Drummond net Detroit this year? Hot garbage, really. Teams don't really want these big oxes anymore. The oxen, excuse me, anymore. And Andre Drummond, by all accounts, could do more than Steven Adams. Although Adams perhaps a bit better at, at kind of playing his role within organization. Who's going to go out and give up a bunch of assets for a guy who has no real offensive game? Unless it's set up for him on the interior. I mean, he's good when you get him around the bucket, of course. but Because he's giant. <laughs> you know, 7 feet, 255. He can do some damage. Toughest dude in the NBA. But I wouldn't just assume he gets traded. And that's the case for either drafting him or drafting other people on the Thunder. Hey, you know, who do they bring in as the backup center? Am I going to draft that guy just assuming he gets jumped into the first chair at some point next year? Unless he's good, like Noel, and can, and can actually put up value in 18 minutes, I don't think that you sit on that dude all year. 
And kind of for the same reason, and not that there was anybody really backing up Danilo Gallinari this year, but kind of for that same reason of, you know, Gallo should, by all accounts, we all expected him to get moved. Expiring contract, team that's in really nice position just from a general, hey, they're playing well, but, I mean, does anybody think the Thunder are going to win the championship year? No, nobody thinks that. But they're winning, and they've got 500 draft picks from Westbrook and Paul George. They don't really need to just sell people for scrap parts anymore. They have plenty of assets. In fact, they've got enough assets to try to whip this thing around and actually do a quick rebuild by maybe spinning those into a player. Go trade them for a a blossoming star that somebody's undervaluing. Try to convince them to re-sign like Paul George a few years back. By the way, I still don't like how Paul George left town. Not really cool. Regardless, nice to see the Thunder kind of make the most of it. So, don't assume Stephen Adams is gone. Sure, he might get traded, but it's far from a it's far from a guaranteed thing. And finally, Dennis Schroeder, who has one more year and about fifteen million on his current contract, he also could get moved next year. And I would venture to say. He's almost more likely to get moved than Steven Adams because everybody loves a player that can go get you some buckets. You tell me a team in that top tier that couldn't use a little quick fire off the bench, bring him in, Schroeder, go get some buckets, help run a second unit. I think there will be interest in him which to me makes guys like Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis-Alexander one tiny click more interesting, but not really anybody else behind him in the pecking order because once you get past that top six, the guys we talked about, Terrence Ferguson was the next highest player on the team in minutes played at 23. This was a very much a front-loaded roster that is... Even though Ferguson actually got more starts on the season than some of those other guys we listed, Gilgis Alexander, 35 minutes, Chris Paul, 32, Gallo, 31, Schroeder, 31, Steven Adams, 28. And then Noel, we talked about, was able to do it in only 18 minutes a game. But this was really five guys running up the great majority of minutes, and there just wasn't much in the way of extra stuff. Lugans Dort, Average 22 minutes a game, Abdul Nader, 16, Darius Baisley, 17, Mike Shivers, Muscala, 12, Hamadou Diallo, 18. Then we mentioned Ferguson at 23. So they're just, there's just nothing else. On paper, this is a really easy team to break down, but from a what did we learn, what did they accomplish, where are they going standpoint, the fact that Shea, when you look at this roster, is really the only untouchable, you would think, makes everything a little bit, well, a little bit shaky for next year. Schroeder could get moved, contract year. Steven Adams, final year of his contract. Nerlens Noel's a free agent. Danilo Gallinari's a free agent. Four out of those six guys we just mentioned could be or will be gone. Two of them, well, maybe they come back. But four, all four of them could be gone from OKC by... January, February of next year. Paul and Shea might be the only guys left. And maybe even Chris Paul gets moved, despite, you know, 80-something million dollars left on his deal. At that point, 
Then you start looking at guys like Dort and Nader and Baisley. But right now, I mean, none of those guys was even remotely close to fantasy value. And frankly, if you had to pick one out of the group and say, here's the guy that if you gave him, you know, 30 minutes a game, it would probably be Diallo. Hamadou Diallo has the athleticism to make an impact, but none of those guys really has a robust fantasy basketball game the way that some of the dudes did we talked about inside the top 100. Lessons learned uh, from this team. Number one, it's a positive lesson. And, you know, when you get a team that wants to win, you often get better fantasy values. There's just less confusion. Billy Donovan played his guys. They succeeded. Lesson number two. If you can find depressed assets, like a Chris Paul, where the numbers line up to make it an extremely low-risk proposition in a situation that looks on its surface like a higher-risk one, you jump on it. And we'll be keeping an eye out for that this coming year. Lesson number three. Nerlens Noel is great in limited minutes. We're going to track him no matter where he goes. He'll be on our radar. Lesson number four. Don't assume guys are getting traded. This team made two monster moves in the offseason, and then nothing when the season began. We all thought for sure Gallo or Adams or Schroeder or somebody would get moved on this team, and they didn't. People kept trying to tell me that Chris Paul was going to get moved, and I was like, I don't know, man. (laughs) There's a lot of money left on that thing for a dude that's my age. I wouldn't pay me that much. I know I'm going downhill fast. Still, you know I love me some Chris Paul. So that's your thunder. A lot of moving pieces going forward. This is going to be a really interesting fantasy team next year as we wait to see, do they go into a bit of a rebuild? Like, you know, what if Gallo, what if they don't sign any free agents? Is that their way of saying we're not going to try again next year? What if they don't bring back Gallo? What if they don't bring back Noel? What if we find out Adams or Schroeder gets traded in whatever this offseason turns out to be? That gives a very different narrative on the team. Okay, Chris Paul, Shea, you guys are running with three dudes no one's ever heard of. Things could turn sour fast, and then Shea could be your, hey, take 25 shots a night guy, and Chris Paul gets kind of the half shutdown treatment. I have to be very aware of what the story is around a team. They've now had their success. What if we don't get a playoffs? Do they try to do it again next year because of the sort of dissatisfaction of not getting to finish this year with a postseason berth? All of these things need to go in our assessment, into our handicapping of this Thunder organization while we take into effect just the personnel side. A lot of storylines on this team. A lot of lessons to be learned. All right, we'll uh, keep on rumbling along. Doop-ba-doop-doop-doo. Tomorrow, more on the Northwest Division. I don't know where we're going. Utah, Denver, Minnesota. Minnesota makes me sad right now with the Carl Anthony Towns news, so we'll probably uh, probably hold off a little bit longer on that one. Uh, Shout-out once again to the guys over at Hoopball still working hard during the quarantine. Our guy Steve putting together the Chicago Bulls fantasy snapshot uh, Dio knocking out the Hornets storyline, their young talent, the season so far on the Charlotte Hornets, 
And, of course, our good buddy Surio and his season so far breakdown on the waiver wire pick of the year. So there's still plenty rumbling along. Also, shout out our buddy Corbin Ford with NBA Today, the podcast. He's breaking down books. He did book reports here on a podcast. The quarantine has been very, very good to Corbin. Go get your learn on. I am Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today at Dan Vespers on Twitter, at HoopBall Tweets, at HoopBall Fantasy. You guys know the drill. Uh, I'm not going to push anything on you because we got nothing to push on you. I'll tell you this, though. Uh, if you're looking for something to do in your quarantine, um, we are still adding to our sales team. It's actually a really good time to be making phone calls because we're all stuck at home. Throw on a headset and uh, turn it into a career. Come out of this quarantine as someone that can work in sports the rest of your life. How about that? At Dan Vespers on Twitter, team hoopball at hoop-ball.com if you want to shoot an email instead. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. What's left of it? I know. We run late on some of these things. We'll get back at you first thing tomorrow. And when I say first thing, I mean uh, first thing that I do when I decide to do the podcast. After I decide to do the podcast, it'll be the first thing I do. (laughs) See you later, guys. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.